title of the message today is Supporting the Ministry, Part 1. It's a part one because I got through half of the text I wanted to preach on and then realized this is going to take two parts. So that's why. Supporting the ministry. And I could, I could have put there supporting your ministry, supporting God's ministry, supporting the kingdom. I could have put any of those things there because that's what it's about. And with today's video that we showed as we were transitioning, I hope... And I challenge you this week as you go and, and do what you normally do, whether that's go to work, whether that's care for animals, whether that's, I'm not talking about kids when I say care for animals. Uh, just want to make that clear because, you know, I'm a teacher. Um, care for whatever God's got you, wherever you're at in your season of life. It took 12 people to change the world with the power of God. God is looking for those who are willing. What can you do this week in your sphere of influence to show God's love? And when I say love, I don't mean what we call love today, which is an emotional feeling that comes and goes and flits and flops and all that. When I say love, I mean love as in I'm going to tell you what you need to know and I'm going to tell you in a way that you need to hear it, in a way that you can hear it, that you know that God will support you. I will support you. But let me tell you what you really need. Let me give you what you really need. If, if it's water, let me give you a water in the name of Jesus. If it's tools, let me give you tools in the name of Jesus. If it's clothes, let me give you clothes in the name of Jesus. There's a debate right now in Christendom that says when we give things to others, when we do our missions, when we go overseas, do we really have to tell them about the gospel? Yes! That shouldn't be a question. We take this thing that D.L. Moody once said, which he got from somebody else. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You see, the problem was, is they were way over here using words, and there was no works going along with it. And he was trying to get them to swing back to the center. Because in our works is Jesus. And Jesus is in our works, and Jesus is our works. Because I can supply your physical need. But you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell without Jesus. What's your real need? Your real need is Jesus. So this week, I want you to be looking for ways to advance the kingdom. I want you to come in next week and say, Brother Joe, I got to share Jesus with somebody while I was doing whatever. I got to share Jesus with somebody while I was waiting in the doctor's office. I got to share Jesus with the tele, tele whatever on the phone while they were trying to fix my account. And I know it's not fixed, but I got to share Jesus. I even got to share it with their supervisor because that's the only way you're sometimes going to get things fixed. But you'd be nice when you ask for a supervisor, by the way. I used to be one of those people. Man, they get belligerent at you. I'm like, I don't have the authority. I got to get you to a supervisor. Just know that when the first person you talk to on a phone, they don't have a whole lot of authority. I just want you to know that. That's a secret. 
You can take that. I'll give that to you for free. So supporting the ministry, everything we do in the name of Jesus. Find ways to talk about Jesus, about their real need. You know, we talked a little while ago about all this craziness that's going on, my brother A.W. did, about all this turning from man to woman, woman to man, and, and thinking that you're okay with that. Did you know I read a statistic today? They polled Democrats only, and 38% of Democrats said that a man can have a baby. That's a high number of Democrats that say that. They didn't poll the, the Republicans, but I, I'd imagine it'd be a little lower. I don't know. Uh, but the problem is, whether you're Democrat or Republican, the problem is, it's not your politics. The problem is, it's sin. Is Jesus isn't in them. They confuse because they need Jesus. And in case you don't know where I stand on transgenderism, let, let me let, make that clear. If you think you're a man, I'm still going to share Jesus with you, even if you're not a man. If you think you're a woman and you're not a woman, I'm still going to share Jesus with you. You still need Jesus. Your sin is just as bad as the woman who gossips and don't know Jesus. And I say woman, but men, you know y'all are bad about it too, let's be honest. Y'all know you're bad about it. You just do it differently. You need Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. And when you're not sharing Jesus this week, pray about sharing Jesus this week. Lord, give me an opportunity to share Jesus this week. And with that, I'm going to talk to you about a Sunday school class real quick. Now, in the Sunday school class, a teacher questioned all the children. And she said, if I sell my car and my house and donate all of my savings to the church, and arrange a grand garage sale, will there by any chance for me to enter heaven? You know, one of the little children, because she was teaching up the five-year-olds, said, no! And after I'm done with mowing the yard, cleaning the church daily, and keeping all the things tidy, the teacher said, would I be allowed into heaven? And the reply from around the room was, No! She asked, well, then, how can I enter heaven? And they were a little funny. Nobody answered for a second. And then from the last chair in the back, it's always that kid in the back. You ever notice that? Five-year-old boy screamed frustratedly, you need to be dead first. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. All right, we're back in, <laughs> we're back in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verse 1. Now we know that Paul preached the gospel in Corinth, and we know that he was frustrated with, with that city. And frankly, there are times I get frustrated with where I'm at too. And uh, I got to thinking about that a few minutes ago. There's sometimes you're in a place in your life and you're just frustrated. And he was talking about this gen generation and I got to thinking about this generation. They don't know Jesus, so they don't know what it means. Most of them don't know Jesus. If you, and now, I found out if you don't know Jesus, you're real selfish. Even if it's cloaked in a guise of humility, you're really actually selfish. You're doing it for a look at me kind of thing. And without Jesus, it's all about self. It's all about you. It's not really about others. It's really about you getting the pat on the back. And without Jesus, you can be frustrated. 
And there are times I want to look at some of this generation coming up. Because I'm a teacher and I teach middle schoolers. And if you've never met middle schoolers, they're crazy. You've got to be a little crazy to teach a middle school student. I've got to tell you that right now. Uh, just pointing that out there. Uh, but they're crazy. There are sometimes I want to look at them and go, it ain't all about you. Well, then who's it about? Jesus. I can do that at a Christian school. That's why I like teaching Christian. But anyway, I kind of feel like Paul was a little frustrated where God had him. He's like, oh, these people. But God assured him that there were many people in the city. They weren't showing up. But God said they're there. So Paul, he stayed 18 months. And for him, it was probably like teaching a bunch of middle schoolers for 18 months. We can see that in the way he writes. Uh, I love this when he talks about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. He talks about his detractors and those that are saying things about him. And it reads, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which by the way is Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruits, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox which it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should partake of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void." For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that no matter the question, at the end of the day, 
as it regards to morality and sin, it's about you, what we need. You're the answer. Lord, I ask that you would, first of all, bless me in this speaking that I may get across the point you want gotten across. And uh, Lord, bless our hearing that we not get bogged down in certain things with preconceived notions and ideas. And Lord, I just turn the rest of this over to you and say, help, in Jesus' name, amen. We're called to support our local church with our time, our talents, and our money. Um, first of all, many of you know this, but I don't like speaking on this particular subject. Because so many in ministry have abused the subject of money. And I don't want to be accused of it. But we're going line by line, verse by verse, through the Scriptures. So if I do not but skip this subject, then woe is me for not preaching the full message of Christ to the church. Point one today, support your local church, not false teachers. Support your local church, not false teachers. 1 Corinthians 9.1 Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as others or as other apostles and the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion? Or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Money's a hard thing today to preach or talk about. And, and I think for me it's an overreaction. You see, for a few years, I spent studying the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements, the name it and claim it movement. I saw where it was abused. I saw where it was used. I saw where people went without their daily needs just so that the false teacher on the stage could have a new Miata or a new this or a new that. However, we're going to go through it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to exposit this text. What's going on here? What is in view here in this scripture? Now, Paul had just shared about his conscience and, 
And earlier last week we talked about conscience and those with weak conscience and, and has hit them with a lot of things up to this point on how to believe and how to act and how to work in the Christian life. Because, believe it or not, what you believe does influence the way you act. There were, there were those going around saying that Paul's not a true apostle because he was not one of the original twelve or one of Jesus' half-brothers. The Judaizers, which was a false group of false teachers, and other false teachers were going, going against Paul's teaching. So he addresses their criticism of him line by line in this response with rhetorical question by rhetorical question. These same types of things are said about pastors and ministers today. You will see that here. Some of the criticisms, hey, they can be valid. They really can for certain ministers in certain situations, but not for all. Number one, Paul points out that he saw the Lord physically on his way to Damascus. He was knocked off his horse, and the Lord showed and spoke to him. He did. Do you not remember where he said, do you find it hard to kick against the goads? Who art thou, Lord? Duh. Sorry if I'm knocked off my horse and there's a bright light and somebody's speaking to me. Yeah, that's the Lord, just so you know. Number two, he asks, is he not less of an apostle than the others? For he writes, am I not as free as anyone else? Number three, his work amongst the Corinthians and then coming to faith is proof that he is an apostle. Even if others deny him, the Corinthian church should know better. Just like when, when you look at a, a middle school boy who just knocked another middle school boy in the back of the head. What'd you do that for? I don't know. You should know better. The Corinthians should have known better. At the bare minimum, he was their apostle, was he not? He has set up why you should listen to him over others, over these other teachers, over the false teachers. And we know that Peter, and, and later, he equates Paul's writing as Scripture. So we know that Paul's writing is Scripture. 2 Peter 3.15 says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. And we find they do it still today. Scripture is not something that we get to pick and choose what we apply and what we don't apply. We believe it all and do it all, or we don't. Where we fall short, God grants forgiveness, and He's made strong in our weaknesses. 1 John 1 9 says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll find in 2 Corinthians in the future, 12 9, each time He said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. So we know that those today who distort the teaching of Scripture, that's nothing new. It happened at this time. 
which is why Paul puts this section in his letter to the Corinthians and why we must study it, not just read the Bible, but study it today. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In today's social media climate, in today's all you're bombarded with, all this information, and some of it's real and some of it's not, what you really need to be doing is rightly dividing the word of truth, the Bible. The Bible. Mm. Now we come to some direct questions that he has. We come to 1 Corinthians 9, 4. It says, don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? What in the world is he talking about here? It was common for teachers to be put up for the night or for a few nights and be taken care of by the hosts of the house. This allowed them to not have to worry about having a place to stay in small villages that didn't have an inn or a place for them to stay. It also freed them up for the cost of food and lodging in larger cities. They didn't have to pay that price. They could focus on the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.5 says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Having a believing spouse in this culture was kind of like a status symbol, you know what I mean? She believes so much, she's willing to give up everything and go with you. That, it must be true. Because, man, if you've ever tried to convince your wife of something that she don't want to be convinced of, you know you're not going to convince her. That's just the way it is. So it must be true. Sorry, ladies. And ladies are going, yeah, well, you, you men are stubborn. Sorry. Let's stop right there. That's right. I agree with that. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I said that to my daughter the other day, and she just looked at me like, yeah, I know that. Duh. Having a believing spouse was a status symbol, so to speak. You have a household, you're taking care of it well, but this was a, a criticism laid against Paul. You see, in Jewish culture, you couldn't even read the, the Song of Solomon if you were under 35 years old and unmarried. They wouldn't even let you read it. So to have a wife meant you were doing what God commanded you to do. But to have a believing wife... Well, now we know, you know, that kind of puts you out of status. Paul didn't have a wife. Barnabas didn't have a wife. Does that make them any less than apostle? 1 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, he asks, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, you know, in many situations, Paul would go into a city, he would work a job in order to supply his own way and not lay that burden upon the people as he was introducing them to the gospel. Why? Because many teachers of other religions and so-called Christian teachers would require a payment or an offering of money at a certain amount in order to listen to them. Paul didn't want to be lumped in with them in, in people's minds as they were taking advantage of the people. Corinthian, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian city, was a pretty good-sized city. 
And they had many philosophers coming in, charge some money, and then leave. Do we see that today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got many people coming in for motivational speaking and, and these kinds of things. And unfortunately, we have that in the church, too. There are certain ministers you can't get to go to a church if you can't pay a certain amount, believe it or not. And I like, I like, to, I like to say this. God called me to preach. God called me to preach the same way with all I've got every time for that message, whether I'm preaching to two people or 2,000 people. He didn't say, go preach to the 2,000. He didn't say, go preach to the three. He said, go preach, period. Preach the word. These people, you might say, were, were living the high life, while those in their congregations, those in their um, halls were struggling to make ends meet. Does that sound like some teachers in the world today? You name it, claim it, folks. The guy who's got the golden toilet. The guy who's got, uh, what was it in the late 80s? She had a toy poodle or something with an AC in the doghouse. ACs weren't cheap at that time, folks. You didn't go to Lowe's and get a window unit for under 100 bucks. You know what I mean? Um, but Paul continues down this, this vein, letting them know that it is right for the worker of the gospel to be given a certain monetary gift in order to live. And this should be done at a fair, livable wage from which the church can afford. 1 Corinthians 9.8 says, Am I express, expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. And since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Notice, says, notice that, first of all, Paul says that it is a right for, for the man of God who preaches the gospel to be supplied by the gospel. Now, this is the part that, that I hate to teach on the most, but it is in the Word. I don't like talking about money, you know that. It seems self-serving to me. Yet, here it is in the Scripture. One question that comes up all the time is, what should a minister be paid? Well, the conventional wisdom in the United States says this, that they should be paid whatever the average of the church members make on their jobs. And then we take that range of pay and we pick something middle, middle to high, not middle to low, but middle to high, middle high in that area. And that's all well and good. That's good wisdom. But if a church can't afford it, they can't afford it. That does not mean that they do not get the gospel. That does not mean that they do not get that minister's all that he can give. God often calls ministers to bivocational ministries and even to volunteer ministries. And it's usually for a season, but it may be that minister's calling. Now that's what Paul is referring to when he says that he had not used this right. 
He didn't want to be lumped in with the, as we call them, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it folks. Yeah, I know, that sounds very derisive, but I'm going to say it that way anyway. Now you've got so-called ministers who, who will not only use the right, but oh boy, do they take advantage of that right, and then they blow it out of the water. Um, Benny Hinn comes to mind just simply because he was in Orlando and I knew a lot of people that were a part of his church when he was here. Um, Benny was preaching one day and then he told the camera people to shut off the cameras. And I know this happened because I heard it from multiple sources and they were there. So they did. They shut him off. And he said, and I'm going to quote what was told to me, My family and I have been good to you all year. It's now your time to be good to us. Give your watches, your rings, your cash, and your checks, whatever you have. You know what the sad part is? 95% of the people that were there did it. That's what they told me. Really, it was probably 80%, but I'd like to think it was only 80%, but he may be right. They gave out their high-dollar items. He told me the plate would go by and he saw a few Rolexes in there. He saw rings. He saw wedding rings. And when it was all set and done, he had them turn the cameras back on so he could finish his speech. And notice I said speech and not a sermon because Benny Hinn is so theologically whacked, and yes, that's a, that's a technical term, whacked, uh, that his speeches shouldn't be called sermons. And if you disagree with me, we can talk about it later. Maybe I'm too harsh in my words. I don't think I am. Pure selfishness, folks. It's disgusting. And when I read uh, this section of Scripture about the other teachers Paul refers to here, I always think it was something like what happened at that time in Orlando. Always I think that. Now, on the other end, you have a church that won't let the pastor or his wife take another job, but they literally say things like, we pay our pastor so little because we want him to remain humble. I've heard that come right out of a deacon's mouth. I thought to myself, God, don't call me here. They had a pastor, but I thought preemptively, God, don't, please. Yet the people who say that, that, that they, they aren't living in rundown homes with a car that that may or may not start, and they can't afford to put shoes on their kids' feet, you say that's okay. You say that's, that's keeping your pastor humble. And yet some of you think I'm joking, and I'm not. You're kind of shocked. You're sitting there. Uh, I was talking to a minister. His cousin was a minister. And he didn't invite people from the church over to the parsonage because the house, the the drywall was coming down and there were wires exposed and the wiring wasn't up to code and it would flicker and spark and this is what they wanted their pastor to live in. They had the money. They were a decent sized church. But the deacons who ran the church at the time, our pastor has to be holy. He has to be humble. He's got to rely on God. Okay. One last thing about this, and this is why I'm, I, I really rail against this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you into my world, my little world. My grandmother, who went to be with the Lord in the mid-90s, 
We used to say she had a direct line to God. Um, if any of us had a problem and we took it to her, she prayed about it and it just seemed like that problem resolved within a week. One way or the other, it was done and over. And it wasn't a one-off, but 98% of the time. We never could figure out why God just did that for her. But that was her relationship with God. And she got to the place where, where she would send a little in to her church like she's supposed to, and then send just about everything of rest that was on her Social Security uh, to these TV charlatans. Uh, we didn't know until after that she had died that her house was literally falling apart. Uh, there were holes under the couch. That's why she moved the couch there. We never could figure out why she moved the couch there. We moved the couch. We found a big old hole underneath it. We thought, well, that's a dumb place to put a couch. Well, now we know. There was a hole under the refrigerator. There was a hole under her bed. She'd hide it from us because she wanted to give, as she would put it, to the work of God. And the whole time, these men during this time had golden faucets, toilets, and AC for their dog houses, and disgusting stuff. And y'all, y'all, this stuff actually happened. And when she was gone, oh, you better believe the entire family was incensed. We would have fixed those things for her, whether we had to pay for it or not. But she got tired of everyone in the family telling her to stop giving to these frauds because she believed in their, in their mission. I think that's why she never told us. Now, I can't know that for sure, but I think that's why. These were evil wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're still out there today. And they were there in the first century church. Everybody says, I want it to be like the first century. No, you don't. They had more problems than we do most of the time. They were getting persecuted, beheaded. They didn't, if you didn't do Caesar worship, you'd be taken out and beheaded because you refused to bow your knee to Caesar. No king but king but Jesus. No Lord but Jesus. No God but Jesus. And yet you want it like the first century church? They had the same problems. And then some. We're going to stop there today. The whole point. We're called to support our local church with our time, our talents, and our money monetarily as we can afford. I'm not asking you to increase your giving. I'm not asking you to give, give, give. I'm telling you what the scripture says. And that's what it says. But you know what? Everything I talked about, you're looking at me like, that don't mean nothing. Are you sure that you're saved? Because if it's in the scripture, it means something. But notice what Paul said in, in the one translation. He talked about two things. Food and lodging. He did not talk about having the penthouse suite. He did not talking about having a BMW. What do we need today? Basically, food, lodging, and a car that will get you there. We live in Florida. Guess what? Public access is terrible in Florida. It just is, I, you know. 
That's all we're talking about. Your need. That's right. Not your wants. That's right. That's right. I don't need a motorcycle. But God had given me one anyway. That's right. Everything in its place. And when I bought the thing, I didn't buy it. My mom gifted it to me. And that was 15 years ago, and it was already a 10-year-old bike. Didn't need the latest bike. Didn't need the Harley Davidson. She got it because she saw my marriage needed it. <laughs> my son had just been uh, diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. And uh, that was a hard pill for us to swallow at the, in the beginning. Um, but God saw us through it. And he used her to help us with it. So praise the Lord. As the ladies come and sing. Let me ask you a question. What, did you, what have you done with Jesus? Whether it's here or at home or on the internet that you're listening to this message. What have you done with Jesus? When all is said and done, when Jesus comes back or you die, and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your choice? What, what are you going to say? Just like the little boy. Can I get into heaven? No, you got to be dead first. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. What are you going to say? I hope it's, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not on anything I've done, but because he took my place, he paid my sin, he made me new. I hope that's what you could say. Not, I was a deacon for 20 years, or I was a Sunday school teacher, or I attended this church. Or I wasn't as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. No, God's worried about you and him, not you and good old Jeffrey. You need Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all, all, all this world's problems today. You need Jesus. If you don't know him, you could just say, hey, Jesus, I need to know you. Hey, you're going to start a, a new part of your life if that was heartfelt. If you, or you could pray a, a prayer. Lord, I know my sin separates me from you. And I know you, you died on a cross for me and I, I, I need you. That's enough too. It's not what comes out of the mouth per se, but what resides on the inside, the heart of the matter. Your inner being. For the rest of us, as we look at Scripture, those that are saved, is God speaking you to do something to get right with Him about? Maybe something I said said brought you to some sin that's your pet sin. You've pet that sin. You've fed that sin. You've watered that sin. It's like a dog now, and you play with that sin. Maybe it's time to get rid of that pet sin. I don't know what it may be. I'm always surprised how God uses something I say. I go, how in the world did you get from here to there? But I'm glad you're repenting. Praise the Lord. Take some time as we stand and sing. If you'd like to join the church by letter, by baptism, we can do that. If you'd like to come to the Lord, know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, I can introduce you to Him as we stand and sing. Miss Joe. Let's wrap our hymnal, page 317. 317.